Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other, different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Back Row podcast. This is a very special episode without Carlo and Dan. (laughs) (laughs) When we started this podcast initially, there was meant to be more of a sort of back and forth, a news magazine type situation. And and this is really how the podcast is meant to work. But, uh, you know, we're kind of not, not pulling our weight, I guess. Yeah. That's... So it's me, Jenna, and I'm here with Veronica. I'm I'm tired of listening to my own voice. So I feel like <laughs> I'm I am bad about not pulling my weight podcast wise. Like, yeah, let's blame Veronica and that's um... fine. <laughs> Just like everybody else. <laughs> and uh yeah, so you know, this is um coming off of the last episode, which was actually uh Carlo and Dan's Get Rolling to Big Fun at the House Party episode, which was a really awesome episode talking a lot about like early 80s, 90s, hip hop, roller, disco films. I don't okay. know how else to describe it, but um, is that a niche? <laughs> now it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> really fun. And you should absolutely listen to it. That was the previous episode of Notes from the Back Row. And then the last thing that we've written uh, as of time of recording was actually an article from Veronica, which is about female anxiety films for Women's History Month. <laughs> <laughs> I think celebrate it's important. Women. It you is know, important. It really, it's especially as we're hopefully getting into sort of a new age of mental health and uh, discussing issues that, that, you know, something like anxiety is so commonplace it's not even bipolar, schizophrenia, it's not even like this. It's just, it's just kind of there and in everyone and people have levels of it. But there's a baseline when you're a woman. There's just this baseline of anxiety. You're like, oh my God. (laughs) And I really, it made me want to watch, one of the movies included is All That Heaven Allows and it made me really want to watch that movie again. My mom had ruined it for me at one point, not ruined it, but when I was watching it, my mom's like, oh, yeah, I like this movie. Rob Hudson really reminds me of your father in this. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hello, Veronica's dad. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, why? Because he just, like, hangs out in the woods and chops lumber? <laughs> like, that doesn't seem. That's Rob Hudson. I get, you know, Rob Hudson's probably a little more gay than my father. but <laughs> Just a little. I hate to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> I I claim Rockets and straight, whatever. In the magical world of Hollywood, he is <laughs> so loves strange. women, loves them. So yeah, that's I mean it's a great article. So check that out. That is on back rowcom and you can learn all about female anxiety movies, which is a genre that Veronica coined and we've trademarked in my head and yeah we really um, ran with that one i was amazed at how many people were like oh yeah like it didn't seem that 
it didn't seem like a coin to me, you know, it just kind of seemed like I was pointing out the obvious and people like, Oh yeah. Female anxiety. Which is how all the best things are invented. We're half the population and we're all crazy. (laughs) And I just want to mention before we get into it, that we have a Patreon and thank you so much to our Patreons who are currently listening to this episode. They are listening a whole week early because they pay some money to us for the month. And uh, we, we love you for that. We think you are wonderful and sexy. And uh, if you want to join the club, feel free. You can, you can find that on back row.com. Scroll the way to the bottom says Patreon, click it, get in it. (laughs) (laughs) There's that sexy part. Yep. <laughs> Get it. The most recent thing on Patreon was I wrote about Chinatown and I did illustrations and, and the two Jakes, most importantly, which was inspired a little bit by the pandemic and a little bit by a really dumb tweet that Paul F. Tompkins <laughs> <laughs> tweeted. So great stuff on the Patreon, guys. Great stuff. But today... Today, Veronica and I are here to talk about movies. <laughs> no way. That seems different than what we normally do. Uh, it was a little, you know, we're going a little outside the box here. We're going to riff here. I don't even know what we're going to call this episode because we're not really doing it on a theme. This is a shop talk with Jenna and Veronica. Because, uh, yeah, we can be like car talk. Yeah, we're like car talk. We're, we're I don't know what... what click it and clack it but like the movie click and of clack that. yeah right uh i would i want to say something with like a projector like school and film but nothing <laughs> first of all that doesn't work sprocket maybe um spool and sprocket love it spool and sprocket okay i'm in Who, which one's which i want to be sprocket okay i'll be you're spool. cooler than me you know or you're I'm like hip spool. <laughs> you're guys. spool <laughs> I'm the schoolest kid. Now we're going to have some nerd being like, there's not even a sprocket on projectors. What do you know? Literally nothing. I know nothing about film projectors. Which is why you're here listening to us, because we know (laughs) nothing. (laughs) Well, today, actually, I want to talk about someone who knows some things. I wanted to talk about this article from 1994 that Pauline (laughs) Kael wrote which you can find on the New Yorker. It's called The Movie Lover. I think it is, it's one of her last articles, at least, that that came out. Because at this time, I think she had Parkinson's and she had to stop writing and she had retired early in the beginning of the 90s. And so this is this sort of article. I I think I read it because somebody tweeted it out and I'm spacing on who it was. But I was reading it and it's a nice article. It's sort of, she kind of goes through just her experience being a film critic and it's very, it's, it's actually very nostalgic and, and almost sweet for Pauline Kael, who, as you know, otherwise it was a, is a very well-known, maybe the best well-known female film critic. I don't know. I'll just say that, but she's. President uh, company excluded. Of course. <laughs> incredibly influential, uh, you know, film critic. And someone who I, I mean, I I guess you you haven't really read too much from her, right? You're you're not really. I have not. You're no. not a kale head. Uh, I don't know about film projectors, and I don't know about Pauline Kale. I read the article <laughs> that Jenna sent me. Right. But no, well, I cannot pretend 
well read. I think I've talked, I've talked a little bit about her on, on cinema 60. Uh, and maybe I can't remember if I guess maybe not on, on back row, but, um, I, I'm, I like Pauline Kael as a person, as a figure. I always find her interesting and I, I always find her interesting to read, but I'm not really, I, I, I so rarely agree with her. I, I like agree with certain things, but I, I also just wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself like a, like a fan, Sure, <laughs> but, but I, I have a lot of respect for her. And so I, I find her to be really interesting and I'm, I'm always sort of open to listening to what she has to say, but, um, you know, so so part of what was interesting about this article, uh, which again is called "The Movie Lover," is the title of this article, which is it came out in uh, March thirteenth, nineteen ninety four, and it it you know is it's definitely a lot sweeter than than any of her other articles are, which are usually pretty blunt and straight to the point. But um, one of the things that kind of interested me about this and why I kind of wanted to send this to you, Veronica, is that. Reading through this, I, I sort of was picking up on all of this stuff that, to me, like she's telling this stuff with this sort of like fond nostalgia. And yet I, the more that I would read about it, the more I was like, oh, this just sounds like Twitter. Right. <laughs> this sounds like hate mail. This sounds like the worst of the internet. This sounds like the worst of bullying masculinity. Like this sounds like, you know, there's all of this stuff that I thought was so interesting because here she is you know, of her time interpreting it with a lot more sympathy and empathy than I think I would at this point in time, which is nothing, that's not a mind blowing concept, right. obviously, you know, something that is of its time, uh, accepting the times. Okay. Fine. So, and I will also say, and this is, uh, this might not necessarily be true, but I can kind of, if someone writes, She's talking about movies she reviewed in the 70s and 80s and people getting angry and like responding to her. So I think with the immediacy we have nowadays to respond to celebrities and with the sort of pile on that can happen that comes directly to that, you know, especially film critics, you know, they don't have someone screening in their Twitter um, with that sort of, you know, anyone can punch in something with their thumbs. You actually have to like mail a letter, right? You had right. to write a letter, mail it. So I could see on some level, especially if you're someone who works in the public eye and, you know, a woman working in male-dominated fields, you probably have gotten, you have to build up a thick skin. And so at some point you probably do become, you know, like a, an energy vampire, you know, where you kind of, you love that people hate you and that people took this effort to like write some, you know, there's always, there's still that, that phenomenon today with like reality TV stars that obviously kind of get off on the fact that like they're the bad guy, you know? And so I don't, I'm not saying that she is at that level, but I could see someone going almost becoming like sanctimonious in their, in their ability to rile outrage. All these people took time and energy and effort out of their day to tell me they hated me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's healthy or good. I could just see someone getting to that point. Polly and Kale definitely, uh, she definitely has a chip on her shoulder and she definitely has a sharp tongue and, and she does not, she's, she's never been like the shrinking violet, you know? And yeah. I actually think that there's quite a bit about her that's interesting because she, I think she's somebody who, and I think this is something actually that, that 
maybe you and I can even relate on to a degree is that she's someone who really internalizes a lot of masculinity sure. and even, and even a sort of a self misogyny that um, comes out a lot in who she ends up loving in movies and what she ends up hating in movies. And she tends to, to really press the, the sort of more masculine directors as being the better directors. Right. You know, so, so there's, there's that whole side of, which is, which is a little more like psychological amusing, I suppose that like, you know, we don't, we don't really have to get into that, but um, so I just to like pull a quote from this article, she talks about pretty early on that she was from San Francisco and, and was writing with what she called like a West coast voice, which was much more in, like informal and, and conversational than what uh, movie reviews were at the time. And she talks about, you know, quote, the the hate mail piled up. Then curiously, some of the readers seem to begin to enjoy hating me. And she goes on to kind of talk about, again, this this idea that maybe the conversational tone brought them to a weird place where they felt like it was this invasion of the pop world, she says. But she says, quote, whatever it was, I can't believe that any other movie critic has had such thoughtful, picky, exuberant readers they saw aspects of a movie that I had been blind to or hadn't fully perceived. Hyper intelligent, they were maddeningly eager to catch me out. They said I added to their experience of a movie, and I know they often added to mine. This could be pretty sarcastic. Right. <laughs> but then she goes on to be like, it was like a true conviviality. Like she she goes on to say that like she thought that it actually was kind of an interesting to to get this this intense hatred like you were talking about to to have somebody who was passionate enough to reach out and disagree so much but it was just interesting to read this because i just was thinking about like the current discourse in film and and especially online and how easy it is for people as you said to just tweet whatever the hell they want <laughs> Whatever. And just sort of bring up like you know and I, and thinking about a lot of the comments that we get sometimes on back row <laughs> Well, so that's actually, I, when I was reading this, I kind of was laughing to myself and going like, I, I understand part of her mindset because I was really starting to enjoy when we published that I watched it. So you don't have to Rob Zombie's 31. I was really starting to enjoy the Rob Zombie fans, like foaming at the mouth. To a review that I also, I said something about, like, I think Rob Zombie deserves better than this. I wasn't even, like, shitting on the man himself. I wasn't, we got a hate mail that called me a piece of shot because, you know, spelling is great. Um, (laughs) Saying that, like, how dare I make fun of the Sherry Moon zombie, which I didn't do, you know, like, just... And I kind of started to get into it. I just want to, I want to give our listeners, too, just a really quick context. And that... Oh, shoot, please do. our, Our I Watched It column which you you probably can't tell from social media, but it is it, it is like the number one hit on our site. <laughs> and maybe, sometimes things are on the first page of Google. Yeah, like we've gotten so much so much traction on Google with these. And so it was, you know, it's wonderful. We love it. And we and we we love hearing we love getting comments on the site quite frankly i'm always excited <laughs> yeah me too and we've gotten some really interesting and really thoughtful comments too that like that aren't even necessarily like like praise but they're interesting someone sharing something interesting but yeah when you're but the one that we get the most hate <laughs> for is absolutely 
your article on Rob Zombie's 31, which, as you said, is not it's not a takedown article. There's even nothing. It's very like I was disappointed in this. It's not the worst, but it I, been I better. had even right. And I had even sort of had I not a disclaimer, but sort of went like I'm hit or miss with Rob Zombie. I really enjoyed House of a Thousand Corpses. I didn't like Devil's Rejects. And then I even say Lords of Salem, which a lot of people are very, very hateful towards. I kind of, I don't think it was good, but I thought he was doing something new when he was trying. I was more interested in it than I was in 31, to be perfectly honest. I kind of was like, I want to keep watching this movie, even though it's not really gelling. Uh, you know, and it, it's something where it's like you, when people have a uh, these like rabid ideals, as we are seeing all the time, it becomes everybody's an enemy unless you're we have seen demigods and I don't even just mean the last one even the way you know I would talk to people I would say something critical about Obama and not going like I hate the man just being like well he did he did international stuff that was screwed up and he didn't defend uh California when the DOJ was raiding dispensaries and like there was stuff that he didn't do that he said he was going to do and people get so offended and like it is almost I understand why people troll on the internet I understand like how it almost becomes fun to watch this reaction where you're like I didn't even say anything that terrible I didn't even say anything I'm I'm not cursing anyone to hell I'm not like I'm not even using that strong of language and this is your response you know, it's, it's a playground uh, mentality that, you know, I'm glad I am able to not fall entirely into. But so I, I come at the Pauline article from sort of a different, different perspective where I think someone might genuinely like, or they at least appreciate a dynamic. I really, I didn't at any point in the like getting the the comments on the Rob Zombie article, there were there have been some comments on other articles that I kind of like had to sit with for a minute. And be there's there's one on martyrs where I was like, I'm going to respond to this asshole, but I have to like wait, I have to wait and come up with something, and like I have to craft it perfectly because this this guy sounds like a dope, and I want to say something back to him, but I'm gonna hold on. And in the Rob Zombie one, I was just there like, oh cover me with your hatred do you hate me <laughs> oh am i a piece of shot yes yes so i can understand that <laughs> i can i can you know and i do think if it was like hate mail have you ever seen that russell brand bit he does about getting he hosted some mtv awards and nobody knew who he was and he kept getting hate mail and he like gets one that the subject is like fuck you blah 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 it's like a it's like two and a half sentences just being like asshole gay stupid hair blah 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 and then he's like oh i haven't even opened it yet click like it just sometimes when you people hit the wall so fast it's almost like a, a like a dominance thing where you're kind of like oh <laughs> wow i really i hit a nerve there huh oh i'm so convinced that the vast majority of internet anger it's just about power it's just yeah. about like i i want like they perceive anyone who like has published something like granted that anyone can do that. Right. 
We're on Squarespace, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we're on Squarespace. Uh, yeah, please, Squarespace, hear this and then send us a free yeah, sponsor. But um, <laughs> sponsor us. But um, anyone can can put whatever on the internet, which is the problem with the internet. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, there's this weird like perception that you're a celebrity that needs to be taken down. Right, right. And I mean, thankfully, I don't think we really get so much of that right now, which I'm I'm fine with. But um. It is it is interesting that the most hate mail I've gotten there's been two times one is I wrote back an article years yep the back to the future <laughs> article years ago which was I think a lot like your Rob Zombie one yeah people love that movie yeah but I was just like you know like I watched this and I have questions I think was the name of the article <laughs> but it was just nutty how like people like just took this as like fuck you you hate this fucking movie and i was like no i just like saw it for the first time when i was like 25 or right, right i was just way too old you know and so like i even thought it was enjoyable but like it just i, I there were things where i was like how come everyone's overlooking this aspect right this is a weird part of the movie does nobody and, but the other thing is that i think was was sort of and i'm actually this i'm even more open to is that um i've gotten a lot of anger from brazilians what <laughs> For my reviews of both Brazilian movies on Letterboxd, and then we did a Cinema 60 on the Cinema Novo Brazilian movies, and we've gotten a lot of like, you guys don't understand. And we were like, yeah, <laughs> we're Probably really clearly not. saying that we don't understand. Right. <laughs> like we were really open about that aspect of it. So, so that's the thing where I'm just like, I, I don't mind you telling me that I don't understand it, but like tell me why you know like like why don't you you know give me some education then you know like i i very clearly am i'm telling you like i'm a dumb american right <laughs> like i'm interested yeah, in this but in. I, I i only know so much and i obviously don't speak the language so you know and, and that sort of stuff is like fine i mean you know for pauline kale she absolutely thrived on this sort of negative energy like she she easily like you know any any interview with her she's always on the defensive always and i think that's like partially a personality trait and then partially i think just being a woman sure. <laughs> in the public sphere like you have to be like you have to be ready to either like politely put people down or just be like an absolute bitch you like there's no in between like, yeah i think there's this idea that like well if you're going to be opinionated then you have to be like classy almost you know <laughs> or like you can't you can't just have an opinion you also have to have like everything in the world to back it up um, and get, get ready, you know. I found that especially in in the in the office, you know, like when you're when you're stuck with a certain type of person, I found that I mean, like I got I have so many horror stories about stuff like this. But my favorite one though is just that I remember I had a manager once that told me I said, uh, you know, hey, I think this is what the way that we're doing this is inefficient, and we should actually be doing it perhaps this way or this way you know like i was that it was like almost like a pre-thought to just be like right. hey like here here's a problem that we should solve like you know and and i was offering solutions and, and i got like brick walled because they were like the the word inefficient is is inherently negative Get and i was like no it isn't right <laughs> but i found that the only way that i could then i had to like re tool my my brain and and like you know reflow my my anger and channel it into a a new way to to sort of solve problems like this without being completely pushed aside 
And the only way that I figured out how to do it was to be, was to say, instead of inefficient, I said, I think that's silly. Right. Uh, I think that's silly if we do this and we should try X, Y, Z because nobody can argue with the word silly. Do you know what's <laughs> funny is that like, I find that so much ruder. Me too. <laughs> if somebody, if I was talking about something, maybe because we're women and we get patronized so much that if someone, if I came up with an idea and someone was like, I think that's silly. I'd be like, what'd you say to me? You're going to tell me to calm down next. You know, that's, that's funny. Yeah. But, I'd rather hear something is insufficient. You know, this is, I, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but those people in that office need to like go into theater or performing arts for a little while and just you just get so used to hearing critiques you know you don't it's not criticism anymore or it's constructive whatever you know or you just sometimes you hear it and you don't want to so I've had reactions where I've been like no no you're wrong and then later been like well I'm so glad that person told me I was screwing that up because that would have sucked you like to have someone react so strongly to being told that like something isn't working is well it's a red flag I would say but I can't work in an office. So what do I know? I can't hold down a day job. I no longer work in that office. But, um, you know, so interestingly, to sort of segue really quickly back into Pauline Kale, and then I want to pick up on something you just said. She also talks further in this article about working with her editor at The New Yorker. And it's kind of a similar thing. She basically, I mean, she says here, quote, he had given me a handshake agreement when he hired me that no word would be changed without consultation. And he stuck by his word, but I had to fight for every other contraction, every bit of slang, every description of a scene in a movie that he thought was morally offensive. Not my <laughs> description, but the scene itself. And she has like, you know, she gives a bunch of examples of this, but she has one thing where she quotes, she, she finds out her editor loves uh, Herman Mankiewicz. And she uh, takes a, a Mankiewicz quote and she says, you know, the quote being, imagine the whole wor world wired to Harry Cohen's ass. And he insisted that it be changed to Darien. Dear. <laughs> you know, and, and now this is like a little bit about the, what the New Yorker was like at its time and, and back in the day and probably I'm, I'm sure not terribly different today in a way, but it's kind of that similar thing of like, you know, working with this, this, these people that are constantly trying to tell you that the words that you're using are, are the wrong words. And especially, I think that there's, it, it's gotta be, it's, she does mention that this guy was like this with everybody, right. but I, I cannot believe that it wasn't in part because he didn't like what it looked like for a woman to say the word ass. You know what I mean? Like, sure. He, cause he, it's a quote from a man. Right. <laughs> and he himself, you know, that's kind of something that we, we parse out now too, where it's like, sometimes people are taking the perspective of society. They might not have that perspective themselves, but they're kind of going like, look, this is what other people see, you know? And it's, it can be, really annoying uh because someone you want someone especially if you're working with them in that capacity to you know have support you but i can also imagine someone thinking about like the reaction to that you know you always have that like producer character in any sort of tv shows about tv shows i guess where like someone's going like oh sponsors are pulling out and this and that and you know you enrage people by using the word ass because uh, back then it is it is funny to me to see I know we had talked about this earlier it is funny to see the informality of 
writing being such a big deal when part of internet writing is that it is informal. When I've done stuff that's more in the realm of like print journalism uh, around the Bay Area, it really has to be much more like an AP style as opposed to blogs, as it were. But that's so commonplace now that that's kind of even even movie reviews in like Newsday, I feel like I've seen them become more casual, more personal in the past. Yeah. I've since I was a kid reading movie reviews in Newsday, so the nineties I guess. But, you know, people putting more background into everything, more of their own background into everything that they're writing, they're reviewing. Well, I was going to ask you, based on what you were saying a little earlier about, uh, you know, these people, these are the people that should spend some time in theater to learn how to accept criticism. (laughs) But I think this also ties into what you just said, which is, do you find, you know, there's a type of person that people presume is a critic, And I think Pauline Kael actually is a big part of people's perception of the sort of person. It's like the person who kind of can suck the air out of a room. Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, at times or like if you if you say the wrong thing, they'll just spend the next hour biting your head off kind of person. I have not known you to be that way. Uh, (laughs) I probably am a little almost, I've been, I think probably more in the past, I've been closer to that when I was a lot younger, but you know, I, I'm, it's kind of interesting to, to think like, do you find that you're like critique things a lot in your life, not only in your writing, because there is this kind of weird mixing of the personal with the, the public and the personal with, and and being really uh, open about having your own personal views and and life uh inform how you watch film yeah I mean I guess I guess honestly everyone everyone does because critiquing is essentially how you come to an opinion right we might everyone might not like spend the time or have the language for it or know you know what they're trying to say but that's kind of how you come to an opinion is eventually just kind of being like I there was enough of this stuff that I liked or enough of this that I didn't like I, so I don't, but I think I've always had sort of a fairly critical eye. I want to believe I have. I think what has become interesting is watching stuff I loved when I was younger that I really, you know, would defend to the death. And then watching it as I got older and be like, oh, huh, okay. And then I've gone through uh, waves with something like The Craft, where I loved The Craft when I was younger. And then watched it when I was, like, in college and was like, this movie sucks. And then watched it again, like, as a full-grown adult, like, you know, five years ago, something like that. And I was like, this movie rules. You know, and you, (laughs) where I feel like I've become much more appreciative of trash. I think when I was younger, I used to have more of this, like, uh, more of a pretentious, I wanted to show off, like, how high my tastes were. I wanted to be so impressive. I wanted to be, like the 13-year-old that had seen all the Fellini movies. And now I'm kind of like, well, let's go watch that movie about giant alligators. Lindsay <laughs> Lowen's a stripper in this one. Like, I just, obviously people, I'm critiquing things because that's just how I approach content. Uh, but I I think I actually have, I'm easier to, <laughs> I'm easier to impress nowadays. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. I totally feel that. I definitely have become a little less serious about my favorite films or something it's a little yeah. less performative and it's certainly more about just what brought me joy right <laughs> 
Like that's a really kind of what it's come down to is like, did this just make me happy? Then like, yeah, great movie. And yeah, I, that's, I think performative is a good word to hit on because I know I declared I loved things. I'm trying to think of an example now of a movie that I was like, obviously I love this. You know, it was just like a classic movie that you're supposed to. And then I watched it. Oh, a whole lot of Hitchcock movies. There have been a whole (laughs) bunch of Hitchcock movies where I've been like, this is kind of, and like, ones to catch a thief when we saw to catch a thief at the castro a couple of years ago my roommate and i were both like this movie's kind of stupid like when you think of (laughs) spy movies and heist movies nowadays that are complicated you know and it's like i know it's a different time and but it really i was like i'm sure i know i love this movie i know i used to be like oh my god yes it's so good but see i do think i actually liked it i don't know i'm sure there's an example of a movie that I was like, this movie's amazing. And I didn't really like it. I just thought I was supposed to. I know there's a lot of examples of movies that I was like, no, it was stupid. And I hated it. And then I watched it by myself like a bunch of times. And <laughs> it's like, just don't tell anyone I like this movie. I, I have definitely, there's been a multiple times where I've had movies that I, I just hated them when I first saw them. And then I couldn't stop thinking about them until I realized that it was love. <laughs> right (laughs) sure typical like that's almost like the most cliche movie romance in a way like but it's like me with a film (laughs) right right but yeah I don't know I'm I'm definitely somebody who I like to I like to understand why it is I like something and I think that that's where my interest in criticism came from really it was just more about I really enjoy figuring out both what someone's trying to tell me and then how I can figure that out and then how it makes me feel and why it makes me feel that way. Like I I enjoy going down these sort of rabbit holes of thought basically. Uh, But it's funny because the thing that I still get in trouble with, actually, I really recently got, I got razzed by a couple of letterbox friends who were shocked because I never write anything, anything five stars on letterbox. Okay. Which like, unless in, in my criteria in my head is just that like five stars means that I have wanted to watch it multiple times, which is something I don't do very often. Uh, and I just love it every single time. Like, I just love it. It just like is is the perfect film whenever, like in my head, whenever I see it. But the thing with me is that I I hate the concept of perfection. <laughs> Sure. So I get like this weird, like I hate rating something five stars because I don't want to be like, it's perfect because there is truthfully no film that I can't find something that like I don't like about. Sure. (laughs) But to me, it's not a negative thing. It's just like, I hate the concept of perfection. I just don't think, you know, and I hate the concept of, and that's something that, you know, obviously we've done in back row is like, we don't hold anything holy. It's not like, the one film we must all bow down to and the one director we must all bow down to. Like, I, I hate that kind of stuff. And I hate like that, that like overly, it would be Lars von Trier. <laughs> I hate the overly reverential, like quasi religious. Yeah. Freakiness people get about things that they like. Like, I don't need it to be religious. It doesn't need to be God for me. <laughs> <laughs> like God doesn't need to be God, you know, like, right. It's funny you talking about like the concept of perfection and we don't have a rating system anyway with back row. It's something that basically we're like, if we're writing about it, we probably like it. Even the things that even like the, I watched it, I wouldn't tell anyone not to watch the, the Rob Zombie 31, you know, I'm right. going like, well, whatever. I just, it just, I thought it was going to 
freak me out and it didn't and that's why i wrote this um but so we don't really have the rating system anyway because we were always like well what's out of what out of you know what is three three stars is different to some people out of four stars is different like and i would rate something four stars that's the highest my rating would go uh i don't do any like i just used to everything being four stars. I don't really do letterbox. So I'm like five stars. Why is there a fifth star? <laughs> Luxurious. But, like I would rate something a perfect score, let's say, because in my head, I'm, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying I liked it so very much. I loved it. You know, like I would, I want to watch it over and over again. It doesn't have to be perfect. I'm not saying that it's everything about it. There's movies Vox Lux. I don't think I'd, I would rate, I don't, I wouldn't rate Vox Lux four stars, but like I would rate it three and a half and then tell everyone that maybe they shouldn't listen to me. I really, really enjoyed that movie. I, I would give it a good rating and then be like, but you might hate it. Like I, that's, see, that's what it's always comes down to with me. I don't trust my taste for a wide audience anymore. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I feel like I've crossed this threshold where all of a sudden I, I just want things to hit all the right pleasure centers in my head. I don't care if it makes me think. And the pleasure centers can be crazy. You know, I'll, I'll watch a Serbian film. Um, I just, I think I wouldn't write anything that was like slow and, you know, I'm no, because I would rate Lawrence of Arabia four stars. You know what? I don't know. Never mind. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think there is a there is a personality type that comes with any sort of person who is willing to be a critic in any capacity. Certainly there's like a bit of an alpha personality type I think that comes with being not only you know there's it's it's not only that you're saying like this is worthwhile watching but like to to sit there and say why like you're arguing a case like you know you become right. a lawyer for the film and you know and and a PR person and uh i don't know it's like somewhere between the professor and the hype man right <laughs> right and ideally or or you're like taking someone down you know which is just you know as you said something that we try to avoid doing on back row mostly because i'm just we're just sick of the there's so much of that on the internet you know it's not that yeah. we don't it's not that we don't hate shit <laughs> well and also there's like a lot of stuff we're not obligated to talk about you know when you right. are writing for the av club or something yeah you kind of you have to hit these certain notes you have to write about a star is born or passengers i don't know i'm trying to think of some movie that like i that got a lot of hate no i guess people like to star is born um but something that like no that's good that's that's a way to do it (laughs) you know we can be like well we don't need to talk about that movie we didn't like because it doesn't matter you know like we're not right nobody's looking to us for the pulse of the nation. <laughs> right. Which is, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on, on the site. We say that, you know, we're, we're trying to open up interest in films and that, you know, that's our, our mission statement that you largely wrote. So I'm going to throw this back in your face. That's so right. We say that we want people to learn. Yeah. We're going to have a whole glossary about like how to read film, how to read like the visual lexicon. And then I, I abandoned that. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's going to be so much work. I don't want to do it. Somebody else do it. 
But we still, we still, you know, we still kind of maintain that spirit. I mean, like with, you know, Hoser Horror, which is another uh, obviously super popular part of the site, you know, they're, Dan and Carlo are sitting there championing th- these lesser seen and mostly weird films. Yeah. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say that they're bad because like every time I've done, I've watched something with them, uh, it's always been really fun, even if they're not great movies but uh you know like i i really do appreciate like when i hear them talk about it i'm always like why is she gonna see that yeah and then i'm sure if i watched it by myself like without any like knowing that like they they seem like movies that are probably better to be enjoyed with friends or like knowing that you have to talk about them i think they're they're mystery science theater level stuff for sure you know which is yeah yeah and i'm and that's a i think that's for us that's a compliment some people get really angry about mystery science theater which i don't understand i think that it's its own thing have you ever heard the funny story about uh this movie time chasers that they did on mystery science theater where the people who made the movie found out that they're like, they like heard they were going to be on mystery science theater and they got all excited and like invited the, to have like a screening party of the episode. Um, all the whole cast and everything was there. And then afterwards they, everyone was all pissed off. And Mike Nelson tells the story going like, I don't know what they expected. Like, I don't know if maybe they, they seem to know our show. I don't know if they thought maybe we were going to be nice to their movie. Like when we're, you know, they were, he thought they were going like, oh, we know we made a crappy movie. Come, we'll all make fun of it. And it turned out to be that they like really in earnest thought they made a great movie. Um, he was like, oh, oh. You know, it's one thing when you're making fun of Russ Myers or something. You're like, well, you know what you're doing. I never found Mystery Science Theater to be mean. I mean, like, certainly if, like, I would made something super sincerely and then somebody was, you know, joking about it, I get I can under, I get that. But, like, I never found them to be mean or, like, for me, they they were just like a, like a weird comedy door into this world of weird film. Yeah. You know, like, whereas, like, yeah, I mean, people get pissed at them. People are like, oh, you're calling these movies dumb, but they're really great and people need to appreciate it. And I'm like, I don't know, for me, like, having, you know, this this group of robot friends make fun of it <laughs> and riff on it was was exactly the way that, that you know, interested me in watching it. And then it's now it's robots and, with you, Jenna. Yeah, of course. And then now, <laughs> now I'll, like, watch these movies, like, unironically and enjoy them you know like so for i don't know for me it was always good but i guess like you know just to go back to this article the other thing that really stood out to me was she talks about people's reactions to her face (laughs) about her reviews and that was also funny to me because she talks a lot about how people would come up to her and they would pick her up yes even people where I was like, I don't think John Cassavetes is a very big man either. And she talks about him picking her up. Cassavetes, uh, Tennessee Williams, uh, Holly Woodlawn, who she misgenders. Um, uh, and she, Norman Mailer famously offered to headbutt her. Right. But like, fuck that guy. You know, she never liked Cassavetes. She was pretty openly uh, like didn't like his films. And you should actually, I like, I kind of want you to read her um, takedown of Woman Under the Influence, but I don't agree with her. Sure, no, I I will. I'm interested. Um, it's it's always it's it's interesting. I always find her interesting to read. But but she talks a lot about how like so she says quote the the most unlikely men and women too suddenly turned macho around me. 
They didn't all offer to butt heads as Norman Mailer did, but many confronted me angrily and my escorts often had to calm them down. She says like talks about she was would go to, you know, social gatherings or restaurants and like fights would erupt at her table. Yeah, her at a lane. Or, you know, it got to be like just that she would get assaulted from other stars and directors and that she's so so much that she stopped going to social uh, events basically and now on one hand reading now again pauline kell what she would mouth off like this isn't this isn't a like <laughs> oh poor little pauline like this is like not terribly surprising quite frankly because she would very openly you know, and, and she would just drag people. I mean, she made David Lean cry. It's a real, actually, she was quite cruel to him. I, I'm sure there are people out there who hate Lawrence of Arabia, but I don't want to know him. I know. She was vicious, quite frankly, like, and she yeah. could be vicious. And so, like, it, it, it isn't surprising to me that, that people sort of brought it back to her. But the thing about being picked up, I think, was a little bit creepy. And also something that... um was sort of interesting it was like they they knew that she had that she was smart enough that she was a threat you know what i mean like like because if somebody wrote something that was just bull like you know like you said like you read like some crappy like hate comment or something and you're just like fuck you you know and you move on but like you know to make someone like to inspire someone to come up to you and be like and look at you and be like oh like this person's like five foot two I'm just going to pick them up. <laughs> it's the only way that I have power over this person. Yeah. I feel like that's something I don't really have to worry about that, but that's going to be you any day now. <laughs> you can be like that little bitch. I'm going to, that little bitch. You didn't like back to the future. I'm going to pick her up. I'm going to swing her around. I, I have definitely been told multiple times in my life and mostly by people that I've just met that they were, they've been disappointed when I stood up from a table because I was much shorter than they thought I was. (laughs) Disappointed is a fun way to say it. Like people, <laughs> they straight up, they'll be like, oh, wow, I thought you were taller. Like, there's just this, like, their face falls. They just look so upset. <laughs> They're like, you just, you projected a taller, you know, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I get, like I'm not, like, I'm not petite, like, frame-wise, I guess, but, like, I, I kind of am. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was just sort of, like, a little, like, a little much. Yeah. Yeah, that part was I definitely just, weird. And weird and 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 I don't know, she doesn't I think part it's like not her style to to really show her emotion about something like this, but I think that this Jeff definitely clearly disturbed her enough. Yeah. Um that she felt like she couldn't even go out in public, but she certainly didn't stop from being like terribly mean. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I've, I don't know. I, that's that's something where I, it, it's interesting. I I haven't had people come up to my face to yell at me about my movie reviews. <laughs> Maybe in part because I make a, a big effort to keep things largely positive. My letterbox, I get more negative. But well, that's more of like a journal, right? Yeah, like, I consider like that to be really. I, I mean, I write it on my phone. <laughs> right you know it's like it's not it's not i don't put too much effort even when like i like actually talk about mank which i hated (laughs) 
I like sat there on my phone and like wrote this, like, it's probably about as long as an article, but I, I just, I don't consider it an article. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I don't know. I was just kind of, I thought this article in general was just, it was interesting to sort of hear her talk about a bunch of stuff that was actually pretty disturbing to me. And kind of, she sort of glosses over it in a way where like, I think there's a hint of irony and I think there's a bit of sarcasm in this, just, just knowing how Pauline Kell typically wrote. Right. But for the most part, she kind of uh, almost has a touch of nostalgia about it. And uh, I don't know. I just thought this was, it was an interesting article to read and it was kind of interesting to, for us to relate to uh, specifically you and I. Yeah. No, I like, I thought it was a good read and I did relate to it. I understood. I am curious though. And and maybe to sort of round out this episode and and end it. um, I'm curious if there's like a way that you, that you approach criticism is there something that you're always trying to like do you have some sort of thesis in your head for how like what you want to get out to the world or is it do do you take things more piece by piece um you know like like do you have like any any secret methods that you want to you know share (laughs) no honestly with criticism the best way so first of all i have to trust the source so there have been times that I haven't taken criticism well and I didn't trust the source, but the source was right. So I'm not saying I was right all the time, but I have certainly encountered moments when I've been like, I don't think, I don't trust this person's opinion. I don't trust this person's opinion of me. I've, I've seen their own, this is in the performance world. So I think the only thing I can say about criticism, the only way to really deal with it is to like remember that if you do trust the source, if you do think it's coming from a place of actual, like a critical lens, it will make you better. That's kind of the only, just, it will make you better if you actually listen to it. And you just kind of have to get used to that and keep that mantra in your head that like, this will make you better. This will make you a stronger writer, performer, artist, whatever. Um, And then if you don't trust the source or if you think it's just, you can also... You can also not listen, but well, actually, I was, I was, I was thinking more about like your writing, but I, this is a more interesting uh, reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's where I've dealt with more criticism, to be honest. Well, I love you know the the one thing I think about what um, there's that like quote that goes around on the internet, uh, like I don't even know, it's one of these like inspirational quotes that like gets attributed to like fucking abraham lincoln or something sure, you know yeah. what i mean like but the the thing and, and, but i found this to be actually i think this is like kind of where i'm at with with receiving criticism is don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from which is oh, as, yeah as you said like you know figure out who, who it is and why they're saying it and and anyone who's a complete stranger that comes out of the dark and and to say something super negative and doesn't offer any sort of positive i think typically is something that can be tossed yeah <laughs> you know uh you know I, that's I, a hater yeah you know if, and that's fine to a degree like maybe you know someone can can come at you and and say like i think you're completely incorrect you know if they can't back that up with a reason or they didn't provide a reason for it then it's yeah that's totally a hater but um yeah i don't know i i've it it taking criticism is something that I've had to get a lot better at 
especially, I mean, like I was something I was not good at uh, when I was young. I would take it personally, right. like quickly. And, and it is something that as I've, I've become older and wiser, I realized that, I mean, I would say there, there's also a difference between like criticism in the workplace versus criticism in like from a friend or something like that. Yeah. Like there is a difference, but like in, in a work situation, it to me became more about just getting the job done, which is what's most important. So, you know, it's like not worth sitting there like checking and, you know, like, Oh, did, when they said that, did they mean this? You know, like it right. doesn't matter. Like just, just get, just get it done. When, when it comes to like people responding to something I wrote, I, I find more often than not, a, a lot of the criticism is just people that are trying to participate. Yeah. You know, like it's like people that, um, they they want in they want to start a dialogue where there isn't one right. and right. that's kind of you know that's kind of okay i i don't always love it sometimes it it comes across as like it's it's almost like the kind of the definition of what what mansplaining right. is you know it's like that sort of like you're saying like the sky looks blue and they're like well did you know that the sky is blue because you know like all right dude like yeah <laughs> but you know it's like kind of like they they're trying to I guess, I guess just be part of something that you've, that you've created. Like they're, you're, you've got the ball rolling and they want to push kind of thing. Right. Which is like, you know, I guess you just have to sort of accept that and realize that it really isn't about you, but, but so, uh, is there like a way that when, when you're writing criticism that you like approach, like when you watch a movie and you, and you're writing a review of it, or do you have something specifically in mind that you're like trying to prove to the world or you, do you really like draw from just your emotional experience usually not i mean no i try to come at everything as as clear-eyed as uh as possible i try that's why i avoid trailers more now and i avoid other people's reviews until i see something there's something to be said about writing a review. You know, that was another thing Pauline Kael was sort of famous for was writing a review like a month later. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and then kind of directly attacking other reviews in her review. And I think that I actually, that's, I've, I've found that I have better thoughts and, and better, like an, a better understanding of a film when I've, I have had that sort of false dialogue with reading other reviews about things and then, and then considering, but it, there is something kind of fun about being the first one to say, to say something, but. Well, and there's, there's just too many bandwagons and people, that's always the, you hear about like the festival bump where it's people like tweeting immediately from cans because they want to be the first one. And I guess that's kind of a luxury in, in our regard is that we don't really have, <laughs> we don't, that's not what drives us. So we don't have to worry about like, being the hottest of the hot takes totally all right well um you know so you're gonna go uh duke it out with some 31 fans and uh i'm gonna go get picked up by john cassavetes so that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun for both of us to be This podcast is a presentation of backdashrow.com, co-founded by Veronica Dolgenko and Jenna Ipkar, also featuring Carlo Van Stepout and Dan Gorman.